0: Sutra 10 By the firmly convinced practice of the complete cessation of the mental modifications, only the impressions remain. This is the Higher Samadhi. Wherever you think is where the soul goes. Since we aren't limited by a body after death, you can ride the currents after life into wherever the mind wishes us to flow said forgiveness why not take a good seat can you rest in the samadhi state ease into this awareness now relax as you meditate said mr kismet to sit in meditation examine the mind as we sit in silence without any distractions what is it that we come to find and what if the mental plane is like an ocean and by descending within, we are able to explore oh so deep, like a diving bell and a butterfly. Off we go to examine the great unknown with a sense of wonder and mystique. Often the mind is used like a storage device, something like a hard drive to manage the thoughts and ideas a person tries to keep. Imagine the internet with all its links and pages, these tabs are like modifications or vrittis, which are the movements and history of our consciousness, such as knowledge, memory, imagination, delusion, and sleep. Imagine we're in a submarine, and we descend into the mind through the water. As soon as we move through the ocean, we create ripples that move out in a circular pattern. These impressions create waves, and in the same way a single thought can ripple out within our head. Just like how any online post can trigger us, all it takes is a small sense of anger or affliction before our frustration spreads. Just like how a post, video, or article can affect us, the internet is like a great mind which allows some ideas to go viral. These modifications or have the power to expand so great That they ripple out into the world like an exponential spiral. Now once something goes viral, it is not simply yours to control or keep. The idea is spreading as it's shared with all, and so an idea begins to pick up speed as it's replayed on repeat. It is now out of your individual control, and so a great reaction is set in motion. Thought forms ripple out throughout many minds, and this whole occurrence started from one tiny stone that was dropped into an ocean. Now about that ocean, who controls the ocean? Is there a certain person or country that owns it, or who was the one who first set it in motion? But we know that no one controls the waves. You simply have to steer your own body. It's a lot like our own lives, and so we use the brain to keep the body and emotions afloat. So, in this way the mind is a tool, and in a similar way we can use the ocean to navigate across, sending cargo from one port to the other. These routes are pathways that could be understood as our thoughts. Imagine a shipping port with all its ships and cargo. These boats are like pathways, or vrittis, which are the movements and history of our consciousness, such as memory, imagination, delusion, sleep, and the knowledge we know. The longer we sit in meditation, the more we become aware of our thoughts. We cannot quite control them, and in the same way, they are difficult to stop. Here we learn that the mind is like a function, something like a wheel that spins, and we can come to understand that we are the witness watching the mind like a deep observer within. You are watching these thoughts. Often the mind will pick what it wants and accept or reject. But there you watch from far inside as you meditate and sit. And so I wondered if you, me, or anyone can own the ocean, or as a person, just like a sailor in a boat traversing a great sea. If the mind is that ocean, and it doesn't belong to a single country, religion, you, or me. The ocean has been on this planet far longer than our human species has been alive. And even as the mind is formless it flows, and the impressions seem to carry on after we die. What I mean by this is whatever we do to the planet will be ingrained upon the land. In the same way there is evidence of ancient civilizations long before our awareness as modern man. In the same way these impressions remain so does our mental state. Collectively or unconsciously, we are responsible for the thought patterns we create. So who's been to the bottom of it, and how would you know what's all the way down there? There's no light at the very bottom of the ocean, and the deeper anyone goes, the more likely the imagination could get frightened or scared. That ocean is like a mind of pure, vibrant consciousness, and it's inside each of us. It's the source at the base of the mind. It is the source of all matter and the beginning of all thought. So what's at the end of infinity? Can anyone discover what it is that goes beyond forever? The individual human or body could never survive such a journey to the end of the infinite, but that's why the seer of the soul is called for such a great endeavor. In meditation we may reflect, contemplate, or wonder. Other times, it may feel infuriating to sit still in silence. Some people find that meditation helps ground them, while others feel that meditation is a sort of higher guidance. Within meditation, with whatever style you may choose, you only win by looking into the mind state, and so there is not a single time in meditation when you lose. You're not up against it, it's just there within. When you were born you came too, and so as far as you know, that's when the impressions in this life were set to begin. Everyone tends to think the mind is theirs, but it's like a supercomputer without a cord, and so we use the mind for tasks, programs, assignments, and calculations of all sorts. Now what if the mind space is shared? Imagine the endless internet. We can post videos, pictures words, or all sorts of content online. The web is very similar with the thinking space, as all of us have unique platforms and browsers where we run programs through our minds. We make plans into the future, or we're looking for love and so we start chats hoping to attract. We use the mind to generate ideas often seeking significant things, or we'll use the mind to start businesses and grow assets. In essence, we put energy into thoughts, then we send them out like free-flying pigeons. The mind sends signals as if we release fresh ideas into the world on their own unique mission. Now if we change our mind all the time, chances are we won't actually know what we're trying to find. But if we were to focus upon one thing, be it a goal or a purpose, then our entire reality could become aligned. People may call this manifesting, or they may call it the law of attraction, but we use the mental space to guide our body and spirit to bring forth a reaction from our actions. So, if we start a million projects, chances are we might not even finish a single one. But if for the sake of achieving a simple goal, we focus all our mental, physical, and emotional energy upon one goal, then before long, that objective will be done. Isn't it fascinating how a lot of power seems to come from the mind? By using the mind like a great tool, there is no limit to what one person can discover, manifest, or find. Look out upon our world. Two hundred years ago, we had not even discovered phones. Now it's become so common that almost every person has a phone of their own. This took a bit of mental wits to come across such a genius breakthrough. And from this sort of deep contemplation upon a single idea, all sorts of new inventions come into view. Phones, radios, microwaves, light bulbs, and planes. Why so much new knowledge arose and brought forth the dawn of the technological age. But where did this genius begin? Why it all started in the human mind. People would focus their concentration upon unique discoveries until the manifestation of their ideas materialized. That means there is power in each person, and the mind has methods by which we can bring forth ideas and inventions. But how far can the mind take us, and are we even aware of its most hidden dimensions? So what is it about the mind? And what is it that the mind can actually do? We know it's possible. To use the mind to bring forth great ideas, but what happens if the idea is so profound it brings advancements that the old world never quite knew? If you've ever ridden in a train, you know there's quite a bit of time to kill. Well, this train ride had been going through the galaxy, and we weren't to our final destination still. Now, this train wasn't a physical place, but it also wasn't pure fantasy. It was a collection of like-minded souls from all over the world who were dedicated to self-mastery. Each train car was a unique aspect of the mental community. These represented the various collectives who had come aboard. We were building a new way for Earth to flourish, so that peace and harmony could be restored. Now the conductor was very wise, and so he brought on soulful musicians like Michael Franti. We were elevating the spirit of our consciousness together, because the next thing we knew, we were talking with the Kennedys. So imagine a train with all its passengers and baggage. These train cars ride on pathways, or vrittis, which are the movements and history of our consciousness, such as memory, delusion, sleep, imagination, and knowledge. We were all so curious about where the train was going, where it was taking us and what we were out to discover. The train was like a lifeboat rescuing those who had gone through the great perils by offering them a safe haven to recover. Now the journey back to Earth didn't feel distant, but maybe I'd think of it like a past life. Every person I walked by, whether they were in first class, the working staff, or the lazy pieces of coal in the very back, all offered something that I started to recognize. Our souls held potential in different forms. We were energy of a creative undertaking. All of us had arrived here with no accident, and we were brought together by the boundless breath of creation. Many souls helped manage this train, no doubt about that. But quickly I realized that humanity did not create the Earth, even though the humans were smart enough to build these train tracks. The humans built the engine but they did not build the wind. Humans mined the coal to burn in a fire as fuel, but the fire came from lightning long before humans did exist. Now, the humans tended to the fire, or was the fire using them? This spiritual light traversed many bodies, and I wondered if most humans forgot the spiritual power lives within. That's what I saw in each person, but this wasn't a visible sight. It was a feeling of connection and so you might think of it as invisible energy or light. All of us have the potential to glow, but this was not a process I could force anyone to undergo, because as I sat for an extended while, I entered into a meditative state where I began to feel how the modifications would cease, and so the functions of the mind began to move even more slow. I don't know if slowing down is the best description. But rather, in this deep contemplation, I became aware of each thought rippling. I could relax in the great ocean of the mind, and rather than judge my thoughts, I became a silent witness to them. Imagine the mind with all its ideas and thoughts. This mind created pathways, or rittis, which are the movements and history of our consciousness, such as memory, delusion, sleep, knowledge, and imagination. The more I was a witness to the thoughts in the mind, the more I learned there was no need to fight with them. As a witness, I did not push the tide around, but rather I could see waves of the mind for all it was. This mind was a great tool, and so it was capable to carry out many jobs. The men and women of knowledge may claim it's impossible to stop the mind, but when the mental modifications of the mind cease, then you realize how peace is waiting underneath. It was under the thoughts of the mind all the time. The nature of clarity is pure, like a calm ocean. When there are no waves, there is a crystal clearness suspended without motion. When we are in that calm space, there is nowhere to cling. Imagine the feeling of walking upon water once you touch the source of spiritual wisdom. This is the highest state of Samadhi or spiritual absorption, where due to the practice, all modifications of the mind, including subtle impressions of all previous actions, come to an end. Some say this is impossible, but that's because this is not something they know, and the only way to describe it would be to say that this is a state when the river realizes the nature of its own Shiva-Shakti flow, no longer separate, it is one in the same perfectly at home in its nature, the pure realization of the seer is self-maintained. There is no more improvement, no work left to do, nowhere to go and nowhere to run, upon the realization that the pure essence of creation exists within you. Not just you, but all of us together, and this spark existed before you, your mind, and all of us put together. You see, this train is timeless. The Tao is how nature flows. The highest samadhi is the realization and absorption where the knower is what's known. This is consciousness without an object, freed from every limitation. In the highest samadhi, the self dwells in the glory of the now, which is the essence of all creation. This is a state of perfect freedom. Such yogis are free from all karma. And the fruits of karmas. Samadhi, or spiritual absorption, is twofold, lower and higher. Regardless of the focal point, in the lower level of samadhi, a seeker is aware of a trinity, the object of meditation, the process of meditation, and oneself as a meditator. Therefore, in the strictest sense, in this state of spiritual absorption, the seeker is not perfectly one pointed. Whereas in the highest level of spiritual absorption, the trinity is left behind. All modifications, which are all the mental operations and fluctuations, completely cease and the mind stands so still that even the subtle impressions of the past lying dormant in the unconscious mind no longer influence the mind field, leaving only a peaceful sensation. This perfect stillness of mind defines this state of samadhi. Yogis of this stature have no past and no future. They live in the eternal present. The yogi and the present are one and the same. This is a state of perfect freedom. Such yogis are free from all karmas and the fruits of all karmas. In this state, they are able to see the truth in its purity and perfection, and they are able to decide their destiny. Inspired by this divine will, They may come to this world, live in the world while remaining above it, and, guided by the divine will, leave this world again. This is called freedom from the cycle of birth and death. For this coming and going is not motivated by the forces of karma. The question is, how to reach this state of samadhi? The answer can be found in the next sutra. But what is the rush? This is not something one individual can observe. It is within the self-existing moment, but rarely is this perfect peace ever truly heard. It would take a spiritual lens, something like a very precise eye, then look into the essence of death to realize that the point of your life, in almost all ways, is to leave the old you behind. In some pragnata samadhi, the buried seed can still come into the conscious mind when the proper opportunity is given and pulls us into worldly experience. That is why the four stages of lower samadhi should be passed, and then you can get into this higher samadhi where even the ego feeling is not there, and the seeds of past impressions are rendered harmless. In that state, only the consciousness is there and nothing else. Once that is achieved, the individual is completely liberated. And there is no more coming into the world and getting tossed. Although you appear to be in the world then, you are not involved. Having achieved this, the world is just a shadow from which you are completely free. That is what is meant by a liberated person. It is not that a liberated person just goes away from our world or dies. He or she is called the jiva mukti, one who lives but at the same time is liberated and that's who the ultimate seer was. It was hidden within everyone who was aboard this train. Our spirit was secretly hiding while helping the rest of us, and so we were aboard traversing upon the earthly path of liberation. All souls are called for this, and so we are called to touch the various aspects of Samadhi. But when I looked into the eyes of the passengers, I began to hold them in my heart, along with all of the grief, pain, and tragedies. There our spirit rested together. It was as if I could dip into the experiences we'd all been through. And so I sat with this, because what else was there to do? When our train would touch down upon the earth, I'd feel like a Martian sent from outer space. I did not care for what I looked like or how my mind or body behaved. It was shocking to be here, to exist in such a confused world. With the peace waiting within every moment, so many people were lost and wandering in great pain across the entire earth. It was there I got a message, a telegram to the mind. I'd been sleeping under a sort of copper tent all the while, and by some strange coincidence, my reality began to align. I saw an ad for a yoga retreat, and the marketing picture looked just like my copper tent. Well what did I have to lose? And so the New Year's yoga retreat is exactly where I went. Now the yogini had changed bodies, but it was the same spiritual soul I always knew. All the students sat in a circle while the teacher approached and asked, Now tell us really, how are you? She was my teacher, and she kept a multifaceted form. She wore many faces, and she had welcomed me into a retreat where her gifts would spread and multiply. As new ideas began to flutter through the mind, which rippled into my brainstorm, she provided the space to listen. Then, from there, she observed our nature while not trying to fix us or make us feel better. By creating a sacred space for us to come together, I realized she was a real healer. This was a hard lesson for me, as I myself try to fix people. It makes me feel useful and needed. But in reality, it's not what is often needed. No one wants to feel like they're broken, or that they need to be fixed. Sometimes life is hard, and you feel big emotions, but in time, the mind settles, and even the rough waves of life will eventually cease. Coming back into our sacred space, this teacher was the first one to really listen and hear me out. Of course, we were all in this together, but her, her husband, and her community were the ones who held the space for the seer within me to venture out. If not for them, I'd still be lost behind the mind. The old impressions of my thoughts began to clear after that, and soon my reality became aligned. Well, come on. Tell me for real. Now how are you really? asked the teacher. I feel like a kid, I responded willy-nilly. She was my teacher, and so we played with a bit of arts and crafts. We held hands in a circle, stared into each other's eyes, and then rolled around on yoga mats. It was then they planted the seed, and it grew into a journey I call the soul-spiritual fate. I had been trapped in the confused world for so long, but then I realized we all have a calling, which was the same reason I first found this train. Now the train didn't wait for anyone, but it was always on time ready for those who are sick or suffering. The train would appear through the practice of meditation and observation through the mind. This train often comes when you least expect it, but we are always in search for spiritual protectors. The train arrives for those who are willing to answer a high calling, and once aboard the train, we learn how to obey our spiritual centers. So first we understand the nature of our mind completely, then we bring it under control and then push it aside to get liberated. Sometimes people try to renounce the world by retiring to a forest or a cave, thinking that otherwise they will get caught. But such people can never be free from the nature. They can never hide anywhere, because wherever they go, nature will follow. There is no other way to get through it except to understand it, handle it, and then rise above it. That is why the lower samadhi with all its four varieties should be practiced. Then you can understand the higher samadhi. Because when you understand the prakriti, or nature, you can brush it aside and turn in to see yourself. You understand yourself to be the pure self, the higher self, or the purusha, which seems to have been entangled in prakriti, or nature. After that, then we can finally get free. Wait a minute. Now where are we? Hartsville, South Carolina. We are in the heart of discovery.